Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From roommates to co-hosts, this is The Back Check with Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner, your go-to destination for New York hockey and NHL news. And now it's time to drop the puck. Here are your hosts, Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner. Welcome to episode six of the Back Check, everybody. My name is Brendan Azoff. With me, as always, is Stefan Rosner. And today's episode, right, I mean, there's really only a couple of things that we're going to be discussing because we have a huge trade that was made in the NHL with Pierre-Luc Dubois and Patrick Laine, two big names that everyone's very familiar with, especially after the recent events that were transpiring in Columbus. And then we're going to dive into the Rangers and Islanders because they've been busy. They're going to be busy again tonight. And I think that there's a lot of interesting takes that we're going to have on the two teams because they both look like they're going in opposite directions. But really, they're both playing some pretty good hockey right now. They definitely are. And I just want to start off the day by saying I want my first bet of the year. You know, I live bet I live bet, um, live bet the Winnipeg Jets to win by two at the start of the third, 10 to win 50. So Now, was that a 3-3 game with like four minutes left? That was um, – I think it was more than four minutes when they scored, but it was, I think it was like six, six or seven when they scored, and they scored again, and they scored again, and it was just great to watch. First off, Ottawa scored to make it a one-goal game. I almost threw up, and then they challenged for offsides, and it was completely offsides, and I was just the happiest person in the world. Okay, so I'm glad you brought that up. Before we dive into Pierre-Luc Dubois, because this I had bet on Vancouver to win. Okay. Okay, and there was a goal, their third goal for – Montreal that wound up being the game winner was offsides. Mm-hmm. They challenged it and they ruled it onsides. And it was the most interesting play. I, didn't, I don't know if you saw it. So I think it was Tatar was skating okay. into the zone. Yep. A player was coming out. He saw that the player was in the zone. I saw the replay, yes. He I tapped it in and it's delayed offside. And by the time he touched it, the guy was out and he held the blue line. It was awesome. It was the most genius play I've ever yeah. seen. It was clearly offside, but he didn't wait, so he didn't lose any momentum because he was dragging. I was I was blown away, and everyone I was with, because I was with a couple of people, were were saying offsides, offsides, and I was like, I don't think so because it's delayed, and it wasn't. And as pissed off as I was because of the bet, genius play by Thomas Tatar. I mean, I, I did watch that replay, and it was smooth. It it was definitely smooth for sure. And those are the little plays you're gonna have to see to make some goals. I mean. We know the Montreal Canadiens in the past are a team that doesn't score. And this year they're doing a pretty good job scoring. And it's plays like that by veterans. You know, that it just changes the game right there. Yep. And, um, I'm sorry for your bet, Brendan, but it happens. No, it's okay. It's okay. It was a bad betting night last night between that and McGregor losing. But let's get into Pierre-Luc Dubois. So he is traded along with a 2022 third-round pick to Winnipeg. Winnipeg in return sends Patrick Laine and Jack Roslovic to Columbus. I know, Stefan, you're going to get into Jack Ross a little bit, but Patrick Laine is the biggest name in this trade. 
And when you look on paper, sure, Winnipeg gets a controllable 22-year-old, but they're giving up a controllable 22-year-old as well, and one that's proven he could score 30 goals in this league consistently. So if line A sticks around in Columbus, Columbus just automatically kind of wins this trade. Yes, and I think if you look back at the trade, you know, Brielle Dubois is a center. Line is a winger. They needed center depth in Winnipeg, and they also need someone that's responsible in both zones. Now, we saw Dubois end in Columbus was not particularly good. You know, he gets benched after not trying hard enough in the offensive zone, but that's not his game. I think that just with everything going on, he felt like he was being misused and not saying what he did was right because that's your, you know, if he talked about how much he loved his teammates, it wasn't about his teammates, then you play hard for your teammates. Forget about the coach and forget about the situation. You battle because they're battling every day and there's going to be someone that could go in that lineup that's going to work outwork you. But I think when he comes to Winnipeg, place that he's, you know, he wants to be, quote-unquote, we'll see what happens. He's going to help Winnipeg be a more well-rounded team because they have great goaltending, great goal scoring. They don't need a 40-plus goal scorer out of Dubois. They need someone that's going to be responsible on both ends of the ice. I think he brings that in for line A. Columbus needs help scoring. Now, in the interview yesterday on TSN, I believe, um, they asked line A if he was ready to help this team score goals because they're struggling to score goals. And he responds with, what do you mean? They just scored three goals in the first period. He's a character. But this is a guy that also said in the post in the interview, excuse me, that yes, he likes scoring goals and he's very good at it. But there's a lot of other things he can do to help this Columbus team. And John Tortorella, as much of an emotional guy as he is, which is barely, you could see him smiling through the questions about line and how excited he is. Also for Jack Rosovic, he hasn't played a game for Winnipeg because he didn't report. He wants to be a center. They were using him as a wing. Columbus could use the center depth as well now because Dubois is gone. So Rosovic is a hometown boy from Ohio, played on the AAA team there. He's been skating with that AAA team. And he gets to play for his hometown club, the team that he watched his whole life. So that's a pretty awesome thing. There really is. And whenever somebody can come home, there's always the question of, is there too much pressure? I know when you look at Kevin Shattenkirk's the most recent example in my mind, he didn't perform like he wanted to in New York and it wound up being a bad marriage there. But at the same time, there are players that come home and they love it just because of the comfort factor. So Columbus isn't a as big a market as New York. So maybe there's not as much pressure. And for somebody like Jack Rosalick who's been looking for that opportunity, he's going to get one now. And I think it was NHL Rumors Daily on Twitter that basically gave a take on this trade that I kind of like because it makes the most sense when you look at it. We're all talking about how Columbus won the trade because they got Line, which is accurate. But at the same time, when you look at a player like Patrick Line, Winnipeg wasn't going to get anybody who could fill on their roster now that's better than Pierre-Luc Dubois from any team. If they could have gotten a lot of prospects, they could have gotten a lot of picks, but you never are sure how those will pan out. So if they wanted help now because they believe that they could go in the playoffs and compete this year, which they should believe, Pierre-Luc Dubois is the best asset in return that they were going to get. And I think that that's a very fair assessment because both sides got a player who can come in now. Columbus happened to get two, we think, because I would assume that Jack Roslevic is going to get a crack at that lineup. So very interesting trade all around. And I they have to quarantine, which kills me in fantasy because yeah, I have Dubois. I have one. So there we go. So we're both destroyed by this trade in fantasy. Yeah. And I I honestly think that Dubois might slot on the wing and take line a spot because they have Wheeler and they have Stastny as their one, two. I don't think they need him. They're not going to make this trade for him to play third line center, right? And I don't think they need him to play center on that team. So he might go to the wing. He can play wing. And – well, we'll see how he produces on that line because he's going to be having he's going to be playing with a lot more talent than he did in Columbus. 
That's true because they wouldn't have traded Rossovic if they were using him at center, and that's where he wanted to be. So that makes a lot more sense. Thank you for cashing me on that. But, I mean, he's a center. So if they need help in the face-off dot late in the game or whatever, you could trust him to go in. And we see that other teams do that. The Islanders yeah. do that where they have Pajot and Zizigas on. In case one gets thrown out, they have two well, guys. Yeah, goals. so when, when they're playing late in games, because he is a responsible two-way center, and he's yeah. only 22. Yeah. So if Sassany gets tossed out of a circle, you're right. He's won 52% of his draws this year. And they might interchange that over the course. Like if Stastny starts struggling at the dot, they might say, all right, you play center. And they have options. I know that when I was on the Hockey Writers Live, the Winnipeg Jets writer that we had on was talking about that as well. He said they have, they're have they so deep at center. It's not even like an option. Cole Perfetti even wants to play center. So they, they have center help there. And losing somebody like a line, I feel as if they might want to give Dubois that opportunity on the wing. Less responsibility defensively. could worry more about that offensive game. He scored 28 goals last year, so if he can now have that option to play with some more star power, he could be putting up the same offensive production as Line. We just don't know if he has that ability yet because of the team he played on. He played on an ultimate defensive team in Columbus. So now will that affect Line's goal scoring? That's another question, too. We will see. We will definitely see, and I think um, you look at Patrick Line and his production compared to uh, Dubois. You have This is up from 2016 to now. 36 goals, 44 goals, 30 goals, 28 goals, two this year. Obviously, he's banged up a little bit. You got Pierre-Luc Dubois from 2017 on, 20 goals, 27 goals, 18 goals, one. But you look at the trade, and it's just mutual. The goal is that it's mutually beneficial for both teams. Lainey wasn't going to, you know, there were rumors he wanted to be out. He, yep. he won't say he wanted to, but there were rumors. You move him to a team that he seems like he wants to be at. He's very excited. And you get Dubois, who is not in a good situation there. So you could say that Columbus won this trade by getting Line and Rosovic, but at the same time, it should benefit both teams as we go on this season. Hopefully, Line is able to return once his quarantine time's up. I know Pilot Dubois got a quarantine for 14 days since Canada. Line is 10. Rosovic's already began quarantine, but he's been in Columbus or, or, already or in the neighboring area because he's that's where he's from. Yeah. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about with this trade is Pierre-Luc Dubois' dad is the assistant coach for the Manitoba Moose, which is Winnipeg's AHL team. And does that have a bearing now on him wanting to stay? Is that a reason he was dealt there? Were there talks? You know, at first, maybe there was talks he was going to go to Montreal, New York Rangers. But he's in Winnipeg. And hopefully, I mean, no one wants to see their stars leave. You look at Columbus and how many stars have left. They had Panarin, Duchesne, Bobrovsky. They leave. So the last thing you want to see is Line come here, play really, really well, and then leave. It's it's like a small market team like Tampa Bay in baseball. They get really good players. They build them up. They got to get rid of them. They can't afford them. So do you think, Brendan, that one of these stars is going to stay on their team long term? It's tough. I mean, I've never seen a trade where both players wanted to get out of a smaller market. They wind up in a similar market in the opposite country, and they're on team control. So they don't have an option whether they could leave coming free agency. It's an extremely interesting situation. I think it all depends on how Line meshes with Torts. And I think I, – I don't know if people don't like Columbus because everyone that's played there likes Columbus. They wind up leaving for more money or a bigger stage. So if he really likes Columbus and I, they have the money to pay him, will he stay? He might, right? And in regards to Pierre-Luc Dubois, if you're going to be a small market like a Winnipeg and want to keep a star player, which they have, by the way, because they've kept Wheeler, they've kept Shifley – They've, they've kept um, Connor. Connor. Like They have all these guys there that want to stay there. Thank you for helping me out. They have Hellebuck and Goal. It's a good team. 
his father, like you said, is part of that organization. So that definitely helps having a family tie there. And hey, maybe he talked about it with his dad potentially coming to Winnipeg. We don't know what goes on behind the closed doors here. Like, I don't think it was just sprung on him that, hey, we're sending you to Winnipeg. He was probably talked about and he said, hey, Winnipeg's one of the places I would be willing to go. I know it's not the bright lights of a Montreal and New York, something like that. But my dad's there and that would be cool to be in the same organization as him. He's a 22 year old kid. He's so, our age. It's kind of- he's our age. Yeah. Uh, if my dad is working in a professional organization, I have the opportunity to play there. I'm going to take that opportunity. So that that could be. So there is a high likelihood that both these guys stay here for at least until their RFA status is done. And they could stay past that. I don't believe that Line A will stay in Columbus long term just because of their track record. I hope I'm wrong. And if they do have success where they could wind up going on a cup run, he might. But they haven't proven that they can get over that first or second round hump yet. So it's going to be tough. But I have more faith that Dubois will stay long-term in Winnipeg than Line A in Columbus. Completely agree. The last thing before we move on is Pierre-Luc Dubois was interviewed, obviously, about the trade. And he he said over and over again, this wasn't about my teammates. I love these guys. He said during the negotiations for his contract extension, he had a lot of time to think. This wasn't an overnight decision. I want to be out of here when he announced that he wanted to leave. It was something that he did. And I think... By saying it publicly, he hurt himself. Well, clearly he didn't hurt himself enough because they got Line A and Rosovic in return. But the, when you announce a trade that you want to leave, that means that other teams know that that team has to move you. They're desperate. They're not going to get the best deal for you. If you had gone to um, – what's the general manager's name? On which Columbus, team? Columbus. Oh, Yarmo Kekalainen. Kekalainen, yes, who knows Line A very well. They interviewed him, by the way, and he said, listen, when it comes to trades, I don't look at the country. But he knew Line A very well. He knew what the kind of player he was getting. But if Pierre-Luc Dubois went to his general manager and said, listen, I want out. They kept it between themselves. They probably get more. I mean, they can't really get more in return. But I'm saying, though, is they're fortunate to get the return they got given the situation. See, the one thing I'll counter with that is that if it stays quiet and stays hidden and all of a sudden they're shopping a 22-year-old center who's two-way, he had a great season last year. He's under team control. He's on a cheap two-year contract for his status. Something's wrong. All of a sudden, he's on the market. You're like, okay, what? Well, there's red flags all the way around. Is he a bad teammate? Is he this? Now they knew that he wanted to be out. They said he didn't want to be in Columbus. So teams are still going to give you high return because of how much control he is. In the NHL especially, when you look at other leagues around sports, like NFL, MLB, NBA, they don't value team control as much. In the MLB, maybe, but – The other sports, they value talent only. And then you look at the NHL, team control. If you can get a young player, it's such a rare commodity. That's why Matt Barzal hitting the market was going to be a huge thing if the Islanders couldn't come and somebody offer sheeted because the amount of picks that they would have to get in return, but you're getting a player of that caliber who's controllable, it's something that doesn't happen often. So I don't think that it diminished their return by any means. And they happen to be – well, yeah, they happen to be in a situation where there was another team in this league that had a similar – issue so it works out for both sides and i think that ultimately in order to judge the trade we're going to have to see three four years from now where these players are it'd be really funny to see jack rosvick be the best player out of this trade i, I don't think so because no, of no, it's not i'm just saying that would be very funny if that would that, be a plot twist i just think rosvick's gonna be a very good player he's young too i think he's 22 or 23 he hasn't really had a huge opportunity and again he was in winnipeg he wasn't playing the position he preferred he didn't even show up to camp this year he was so you know set on i want to be a center 
And he probably forced Winnipeg's hand as well. Well, we're not going to use you. We might as well deal you. But well, like, them, them taking Cole Perfetti kind of made him. Uh, yeah, 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 expendable. Exactly. But, Brennan, let's move on to your Rangers. They head to Pittsburgh to face the Penguins at 7 o'clock. Yeah, so, I mean, the Rangers have played well the last three games. I mean, they beat up on the Islanders. That was probably the Islanders' worst game I've seen under Trotz. Ever. I think that's a fair assessment, correct? Completely. And, yep, and they took advantage of it. They scored. They played New Jersey. They outplayed New Jersey for the majority of that game. Had 50 shots on goal. Blackwood played terrific. They lost 4-3. Then they went into uh, Pittsburgh. Outplayed Pittsburgh for the whole entire game. Blew a 3-1 lead. A couple of really bad bounces off Lingren's glove. And the two posts. I know Buchnevich started the third with the post when they were up 3-2. And then Edel hit a post in OT afterward. How crazy was that goal? That, That was insane. I've, I've never – I know you texted me, and I, I said it right away to my father too. And I said, I've never seen somebody pull off a Forsberg-like move without it being on a strict breakaway. Strict breakaway or a penalty shot or shootout attempt. I have never – you know, you know, we see it so much time and space there. But really, he didn't have that much. Like, you know, watching it live on TV, the game moves so fast. In a split second in his head, he goes, yeah, I'm going to do that. I, I think that that speaks – volumes to just the talent level that he has. I would say it speaks more volumes to the confidence. But that see, I'm gonna dive into that when I talk about the stats. Okay. But yes, I think he has been their best player on a consistent basis. I the first game nobody showed up. And the game against the Devils he really showed up. But that second game against the Islanders he was starting to get noticeable. And I think over the four games he's been their most consistent and best player. But we'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit. But, yeah, so they they outplayed their last three opponents, mm-hmm. and yet they find themselves getting three points in the three games. One, one, and one. It's not how you want to draw it up, but the results will come. we got to remember, and I have to remember at times too, because I'm very passionate and I'm very – I won't say I'm results-driven because I didn't pick them to make the playoffs, so I'm not looking for that. But I am looking for consistency and just pride at points and a lack of – self-caused harm, I guess I would say, because some of the decisions I still don't agree with. But they are trending in the right direction. And now I'm going to talk about some advanced stats before I talk about tonight's game, because I don't want to dwell on this too long. But we all know how bad the Rangers have been on faceoffs. Yes. That's plagued them again this year. Okay. And there's really no way to say it besides the fact that they're absolutely horrendous. Philip Edel, if he learns how to win faceoffs, and I still think there's time, he will become he arguably could become their number one center. Right now, the Rangers are winning 42.4% of their draws, which is 30th in the league. It's horrendous. That's not going to do it. <laughs> it's awful. Ryan Strom, I think, won 18% of his faceoffs last game against Pittsburgh. 18. Uh, it's just terrible. Terrible. Their best faceoff man is Brett Howden, who's consistently at 50%. So he's actually pretty good on draws. But he's not The problem is he's, he's playing fourth-line minutes, and he's not taking that many draws, especially the important offensive one that you want to win. But these stats are Mm mind-blowing, and I think that they will settle down Rangers fans who are results-driven because we have to stick with the process. When you're a fan base, you have to realize that they're building something not for this year but for the next coming years. Last year, the Rangers were 30th in Corsi 4 percentage at 46.53, second to last. Do you want to explain Corsi 4 for listeners? Corsi is total shots on goal, not not just shots that get – I think it's actually shots on goal for your team. It basically, if you're over 50%, 
it means you're controlling the puck for more than 50% of the game. You want to be over 50. Anything below 50 is below average. And the Rangers were at 46.53, which is the second worst in the league. Not good. This season, they're second in the NHL at 56.98. And this is still a young team. That's a huge turnaround. That is a 10-point percentage turnaround right there in four games. Now, that could drop. It will even out when they have bad games. But the fact that they're dominating play is something we haven't seen from this team in a long time. Even when they were good, they would play back in transition. Do you know what that also does? I'll just jump in there. Is yeah. If defense is questionable or weak, you know, depending on how you want to look at it, if you're controlling the, the pace of playing with the puck more than 50% of the time, that means your defense does not have as much pressure as they did last year. What we saw last year where the defense fell apart made it really tough for the netminders. But now you're seeing this year where the goalies haven't been as good as they were last year. But there's a lot less time with the puck in their own zone. And that's huge. And that's why the Rangers have been able to dominate these games. They're not winning because, you know, mistakes here and there. But the puck's in the offensive zone. That's super key to keeping the puck out of your net. Yeah, it really is. And we've talked about puck luck, how much of a factor that plays, right? When it's going bad and you're struggling or things aren't going your way, that puck does not bounce. And that Pittsburgh game was the epitome of bad puck luck. Two posts, including one in OT, a defensive player who breaks up a, a he was a great play by Ryan Lingrid breaking up that cross crease pass on the penalty kill yeah. he goes to push it back to his goalie Shesterkin who's sliding the other way and he pushes it into a net like you don't see that ever in the NHL where a guy pushes the puck into his own net so it's bad luck but the next is expected goals for percentage which is how many goals uh you have goals for and goals against and it's the percentage of goals for for your team that are expected in that game they're at 54.43, which is ninth. Last season, they were 30th also at 45.96. So another huge turnaround. And then the last is high danger chances for, which we talk about a lot. Yeah, It's the chances that you get in that quality area right in front of the net. They're at 54.26, which is 11th. Last season, they were 26 at 47.60. So these advanced stats are all starting to trend in the right direction, which on a young team is something that is really important. And the fact that these young kids aren't all playing up to their potential yet and they're still starting to control the pace of play is something that I look for and say, wow, maybe we are starting to head in the right direction regardless of results. What I will say to Rangers fans right now is the results are coming because the next group of stats that I'm going to read to you are a little worrisome, but they're also like, okay, hey, maybe the Rangers just aren't clicking at full gear yet. Expected goals per 60 for individuals, is how many goals that player should score per 60 minutes of a hockey game. Rooney's first at 1.02. That's because he only played in two games. Edel's second at 0.98. Lemieux is third at 0.94. Kako's fourth at 0.89. DiGiuseppe's fifth at 0.88. No Zabanajad, no Panarin, no Kreider. Buchnevich is sixth, no Strom. Panarin's tenth at 0.49. He leads the team with five points, though. So even though he doesn't create that many chances, Guy knows how to finish. Lafreniere's 12th at 0.38. Zabadjad's 15th at 0.20. Kreider's dead last at 0.05, which is just horrendous for somebody that got paid $7 million. If those four players that I just read, Panarin, Lafreniere, Zabadjad, and Kreider, start to turn it around and start to produce, the results are going to be there. It's inevitable because they already have guys who are producing. They're still scoring three goals per game. Kreider's a streaky guy, right? Correct. So all they need is for him to score one, and then he'll probably start scoring in bunches like we were used to in the past. He has to score one clean one. He does have a goal, but it banked in on a power play. If he yeah. comes in down a wing and takes a wrist shot that goes in, and then Dex he's going to go on a 10-game run. And then Dex the goalie, and we're, we're set. Get out of the way. 
when the when the train's on the tracks, you can't be standing on them. No, no, that's 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 right. I mean, you look at those stats, and it's not good. You need your star players to step up. Strom has been what terrible, no, terrible, and invisible. He's still playing with Panarin though. So then you go back to the fact where the reason he got such a big deal is because him and Panarin worked so well to, together. How long do you think the Rangers and Quinn are willing to wait for that to work before they make some move? So I'm glad you brought this up. Thank you. We don't, we don't have a note sheet, by the way, for this show. We're winging this. And <laughs> he just segued my next point perfectly. So that's kind of like telepathy. Is that the word? Yeah, but I got, I got a twin already, though. So we already have that twin to upload. I right. practice with this. Okay, that's good. That's yeah. good. Well, my ideal lineup for the Rangers yeah. right now is Edel and Kako get bumped up to play alongside Panarin. Mm-hmm. Kreider and Strom get bumped to line three because they haven't performed. And when you don't perform, if you're a young kid on this team, you get demoted like that. We've seen it with Kako. But apparently if you are a veteran and are over 25 years old, as long as you have played more than five NHL games, what do you do? You could stay in the lineup, which we've seen with a la Jack Johnson. And I think that Smith should come in. We'll see what happens with that. Smith's been great. Smith has been very good in his two games, and I think that he should be playing. I think that it would clean up a lot of their issues. They're being outscored at five on five, four nothing when Jack Johnson is on the ice. When he's off the ice, they're outscoring their opponents seven one at five on five. What did they expect? They took the worst statistical defensemen and put them on their team on a team where the defense is already struggling. What but you could have him. He's fine to have as a seventh defenseman. Because he has NHL games. Obviously, he's great in the locker room. Everyone talks every team. Mike Sullivan was praising him in the locker room during yeah, their last game. But it's something. It's not It's not the on-ice stuff. He better be good off-ice. But it, So that's what I said. If he's that good in the locker room, bring him in as a seventh guy, right? Smith has obviously played okay. Let him play. And if somebody gets hurt, okay, you have an NHL-ready defenseman to step in. But he shouldn't be playing. But I don't want to go on that tangent because I've already done that. So the I think that outside of Smith playing over – Johnson, the only other move I would make is I would flop because, listen, if anyone watched that Pittsburgh Penguins game, Philip Edel stood out to you every time he was on the ice. And like you said, not only is the talent level evident, but the confidence level to pull that off and to do it again, basically, in OT and hit the post on it. Yep. He's brimming with confidence. Let the kid play. Strom played two minutes more than he did last game. Now, Strom's on that power play one, so that's where that minute makes makes a little bit of a difference, which... Should he be on power play one when he can't catch a pass is another story. But Philip Edel has to be playing more. And the way he plays with Kako, Kako has two goals in four games. All right? If you score a goal every other game, you're doing well in this league. And they're nice goals. Are they both one-time goals? The first one was a one-timer. The second one, he was driving the back post to put the rebound in. Yeah, That's what you want to see from him. Kako is not a guy that's going to dangle everybody. He did that in juniors. It doesn't work in the NHL. Very few people can do that in the NHL where they can go through everybody. Okay? If he's driving the net hard, once he learns how to use his size and speed, that will come. Let him drive. Let him get these goals because his release is good. If that puck's on a stick, it's off it right away. So we'll, we'll talk about the Islanders now, but that's my take on the Rangers. I think they went tonight. I think that they have to continue the way they've been playing, and they've played it three straight games in a row. And hopefully Igor's in that because I expect the bounce back game from him. The Rangers need their goaltending to steal one game. If they steal one game and they look good, you'll see a run. Well, I want to speak on Strom for a second because okay. as an Islander, you know, guy, we had Strom. 
Yeah. And we've seen a guy ask for money, you know, going to um, ask for more money each year, blah, blah, you know, that whole situation with arbitration. And then he was just useless. He never did what was expecting. He goes to Edmonton, doesn't really do much either. Goes to New York, finds, finds a spot playing alongside Panarin and definitely benefited from that. So now if he gets moved off Panarin's line and goes back to being nothing, which is what I think – I don't think he has that high of a ceiling anymore. I think it's who he's playing with is helped him last year. You just lost all the trade value you had for him because everybody's going to see right through that, that Correct. it's about Panarin. So you have another, you have just another dead contract coming. This is a dead contract. If he doesn't produce. Well, it. it's not a dead contract because it's only two years. So by the, by the, nearly at all, would you rather have another young guy come in than play strong? Well, the thing is if he's not producing at all, they can move him because it's only a two-year contract. It's not going to... But who's going to want to take a guy that clearly is showing that it's not him, it's the players he plays with? They'd have Somebody to have- else that has those players. Because every time he's gone to a new team, he's shown glimpses. So if you're willing to take a chance that this one year of that potential that he's going to have on a new team is going to be now and help you get to the playoffs, why wouldn't you take that chance on him? He wins 47% of his face-off, so it's not like he's horrendous. There's games where he wins over 50. He proved that he could score. The thing that pisses me off the most about him yeah. It's just the most recent example was on the power play last game where he tried to go cross crease. He tries to force those passes to make those beautiful plays. Yeah. He's got a phenomenal shot. Mm-hmm. If, if Rangers fans remember, I don't know, somebody you might remember if you were watching it. He played Toronto last year, a homecoming game for him. He scored, I think it was two or three goals, and he took a slap shot from the blue line that went barred out on Frederick Anderson. Just completely beat him from a slap shot from the blue line. In order to do that, you have to have a crazy shot. Shoot the puck. If you're getting the puck in that situation, rip it. But he doesn't. And I think once he starts ripping it, those points will start coming. But it's not a dead contract because it's only two years. So if he, if they signed him for the same term as Kreider, ooh, I'd be having a fit right now. How about Panarin? Um, let's let's move on to let's move on to the Islanders. They beat the Devils last Thursday by a score of four to one. Big game for Matt Barzell. He gets a goal and two assists. His goal, another just absolute beauty of a shot. He snipes Scott Wedgwood. No chance. I've never seen a puck go into the corner like that, just as perfectly as it was. Beautiful shot, but he sets up and makes two big plays on the on Eberle's goals. Great night for him. You want to see Brock Nelson gets hurt in this game. Takes He, he falls awkwardly into P.K. Subban, and thankfully Subban is a stand-up guy. He showed it. He helps Nelson off as his blood is dripping from his head. I think the visor cut the him off. The visor cut him. Tough. Brock Nelson's a trooper, comes back, deflects the goal on the power play. Islanders win 4-1. It was a very good game for their offense, their defense. Goaltending was great. Varlam of another win. A goal he wants back, though, as a bastion shot um, towards the middle of the circles. Beats him. He was out. He was aggressive. It just goes right over the pad. I've been there before. You think you're in the right spot. Just missed his pad. He loses a shutout streak to start the season. But overall, it's been impressive. But, Brendan, you just talked about the struggling – in the face-off dot for the Rangers. Yep. The Islanders on the year have won the majority of their face-offs at 57.1%. Their top four guys, Sezika, 64%. Pajot, 61.97%. Brock Nelson, 60%. Barzal, 55.56%. For a team that is deep in the center position now with Pajot, you're seeing right now how important it is to have guys that win face-offs because – I don't know what the um, the stats or the advanced stats that you read on the Islanders. I'll do that research a little bit later. But the Islanders were a team that 
didn't really always control pace of play, but they got their opportunities and they scored. Now the Islanders, I'm not sure this year, but it seems like they are they are possessing the puck. I don't know if it's in the offensive zone, but every defensive zone faceoff that's a must win. Islanders are winning more often than not, and it's huge for their ability to get out of their zone and make plays in the offensive zone. If the Rangers could win faceoffs the way the Islanders could, they'd be undefeated this year. And I don't mean that as a joke or an exaggeration. They've dominated the games they've played possession-wise without winning draws. And the Islanders are second in the league at 57%, like you just said, which is an absurd percentage. That's going to come down towards 50. But if, if they can keep that at 54% and up, they're going to have success because they're a team that is so solid defensively. Oddly enough, though, I did look it up for you. They're 27th in the league in Corsi at 45.33. Oh, yeah, because they lose a puck after they win the faceoff, but they still win the faceoff. When you look at expected goals for? Yeah. Let's see. They're fourth in the league at 55.73, though. But I think that, that that's just attributed to the fact that they don't give up anything. And we've seen that. And now I know we talk about this a lot. I yeah. do want to ask your opinion because you're the goalie. Do you think Sorokin gets in there anytime soon? Or I, I personally think you just ride how hot Varlamov is right now. I mean, for a goalie that is 3-0 with a .33 goals against average and a 988 save percentage with two shutouts, I can't – even if Sorokin had played lights out in his debut. Lights out. I, how do you stop? We're in a league right now in a, in a shortened season where every game is like a four-point game. Every game is a playoff game. You don't know what you have in Sorokin yet. You know his potential. But are you willing to put him in there and see him get shelled or struggle because he hasn't played a lot for a guy that is showing you that he is a brick wall with a little hole, which that goal that Bastion scored, great shot, perfect shot. Varlamov probably stops at 19 out of 20 times. I won't even say 9 out of 10. 19 out of 20 times, that's a pad save to the corner. He just, the angle he took, the little inch he had above the pad, his blocker wasn't down, that stopped. But for me... Barry Trotz is a guy that usually he rides the hot hand. We saw last year, Grice was terrible. Varlamov played the majority of the stretch after the All-Star break. Pretty much, he played majority and played well. Varlamov showed you in the bubble when he's on his game how dominant he could be. And yes, we talked about over and over again how this defense makes goalies better. They make Grice look like a freaking Vesna winner. But that's what this defense does. And for Varlamov to be able to work well with this defense, make big saves when he has to, he wasn't tested all too much. Um, against the Devils, but at the same time, there were some times he had to come up big, and he yep. did in the Bruins game. He didn't get a lot, but in crunch time with the Bruins uh, pulling their goalie, he had to make two big saves, and he did. So for a guy that has this much confidence to the best start of his NHL career, and he's a veteran, he's been around for a while, I can't say you're taking him out, especially against a team like the Devils tonight, who he just beat and dominated. So I, th- I think you got to ride Varlamov until he shows you he can't. Same way in the bubble. Once Varlamov had that shutout streak, once it ended, Grice came in, and then Grice plays game seven against the Flyers, plays very well. Your, that's your role as a backup, to come in and relieve your starter when he needs off. Yep. This is Varlamov's net, and I think unless we see a, a, a bad performance, not even a little struggle, because I didn't think he was particularly stellar against the Devils last game. You know, everyone's like, wow, what a game, great. A lot of rebounds. We're struggling to track the puck, which leads to the rebound control. I don't think it was the game he wants to play. I know he could do better. So even when he didn't play to his best, he still was dominant in there. And I think right now for the Islanders, we're off to a great start, 3-1. You can't you can't take him out. Guess who loves that because they drafted him late in rounds in fantasy hockey? You. I have Armov as well. Uh, listen, I, I want heavy goaltending. 
And I am being blessed right now with these shutouts and great performances because they are racking up the points for me. And I hope that it continues against every team besides the Rangers. Mm-hmm. But he looks great. There's no other way to say it. He looks very calm, very composed. And I feel as if the Islanders' track record and how they played in front of him last season just gave him confidence coming into this year that he's never had before, saying, hey, I'm not going to face any of these chances that most goaltenders have to put up with on a nightly basis. I just have to stop what is in front of me. And he's doing that. And and until some teams can figure out a way to go cross-crease or, or change the angle and I know that the Bruins, when they're clicking, are a team that if you're a hockey fan, you watch how good they do this. They go from that right point, and it's a quick pass across. And before the defense can slide to the right, it's back over to the left. So by the time they're sliding, it's impossible to stop the pass. It's so quick, and it's just they have chemistry like that. It's in the back of the net because the goalie's moving too. Until teams can start effectively doing that once or twice a game and giving them something to think about, you're going to be seeing these results. I got some crazy stats. I know you had stats, but I did more stats on my own. I forgot I did this after the last game. So the Devils game on Thursday was the first time the Islanders were out hit the whole entire season. So the Devils had 24, Islanders had 21, Martin had six. And for a team, we, we've talked about it where you even said it on the advanced stats. They're not controlling the pace of play of the puck as mm-hmm. much. Well, when you rack up hits, that means the puck's not on your stick. So take that stat with a grain of salt because, again, you want to see hits. It's great. It sets the sets the tone of the game. But if you're out hitting your opponents consistently at a very different rate than they're hitting you, that means you're too fast for them or that they have the puck on their stick at all times. But still, you want to be the physical team. They have a fourth line. They got guys on the third line that could hit. Pajot's not a big guy. He tries to lay the body. Kiefer Bell has been laying the body. But also, the Islanders are continuing to shot block. I know Tortorella would be really proud. They had 22 shot blocks on Thursday. Dobson had seven. Dobson had a Big bounce back game after struggling against the Rangers. He looked a little better against the Bruins. He wasn't great against the Devils, but young guy. It's going to take time. But this Islander team is doing those little things so well, and it's resulting in wins. Now, you look back at the game against the Rangers, and you have to count it, obviously. But I look at this stat. The Islanders have now allowed only six goals in four games. This is after the last Thursday game, so it's all matched up. That's 1.5 goals against per game played. Take out the outlier against the Rangers, 5 nothing loss, which I'm not saying it's fair to do to take out because it's hockey. You have to count that stat. But clearly that was their worst game they've ever played in recent memory. The Islanders have allowed .33 goals per game. So one bad game, which, again, it counts. They played terrible, but that's not Islanders hockey. So this year when they're playing, quote-unquote, Islanders hockey, they have been impossible to score, on, and they're putting pucks in the net. Not at a high rate, a one nothing win against Boston, a 4-1 win, and a 4-1, a 4-0 opening night game. But you build off it. They're playing the same devil team they put up four goals on. Do it again. Get the guys. Do you know if Blackwood's playing, or is it Wedgwood again? Um, I do not know. I don't, um, none of the sites have said who's starting. Right. It all depends. We saw Josh Bailey on the COVID list Thursday up until pretty much game time, and then he was off it. Turns out one of the kids in Josh Bailey's son's class tested positive. So they put him on the list, but he tested and he was negative. That's why he was allowed to play. But even if Blackwood can go, Islanders have the momentum going into this game. They Jack Hughes had one shot on goal that game. And this was a guy that was buzzing all year long. He's off to a great start. One shot. One shot allowed. And that just speaks volumes to the Islanders' defense. Not even 
the defensive unit, the forward getting back. We saw Barzal pickpocketing in his own zone. And that's something that he's got to do more times than not because he's got the wheels to get back. He's got the smartness to get the puck, steal it, and push it up play. We saw Everly score two goals. One was a beautiful one, but both of them were set up by Barzal making plays. The first one he scored, uh, the first one Everly scored on the breakaway, Barzal came back in his own zone, stole a puck, chipped it up to Lee. Lee made a nice pass to Everly. Everly scores. The second goal Everly scored, Barzal is against his own boards in the offensive zone, on the right side boards, excuse me, makes a spin around my backhand pass to Dobson at the point. Dobson's shot misses the net. Everly's right there to bank it off the boards and in. So Barzal is making plays and he doesn't and, and he's shooting and he's scoring. So this Islanders team is very fun to watch right now. But you had opening night, and then you had the game against the Devils where Barzal showed himself. And then you had in the loss to the Rangers and the loss to the, uh, the win to the Bruins, a slim win, where Barzal was not there. When Barzal is not there, the team doesn't play well. But when he's clearly on the ice, running around, skating around everywhere, like you said, Edo, where he you just see, he looks like he's on the ice every second, dominating. Barzal should be doing that every single game. And you see when Barzal's on his game, his line produces. When Barzal is not in his game, that line is useless. So it's great to see, but Barzal has to carry it now into this game. Same with Brock Nelson. This was a guy that was struggling. He scored the first goal of the season for the Rangers, uh, for the Islanders, excuse me, against the Rangers on the power play. Besides that, the second line was doing nothing. You see him look to be more creative in the offensive zone. He made a nice deke to the backhand earlier in that game to set up Martin for a one-time shot. Wedgwood denied it. Nice save. But you saw the confidence growing and growing, and then he gets hurt, which is unfortunate. But then he goes back to that dirty area in front of the net, deflects a shot in. So two guys, two centermen who make that line go, they both have to be on their game again tonight against New Jersey. Yeah, they do. And I, I think that it's very evident when Barzal is on how dangerous the Islanders become because of that defensive ability, and now they're adding that offensive element. And when he's just okay – they become a very, I, I guess, dull offensive team. And the other team has that confidence boost where, hey, if we get one or two, we might have a chance to win tonight. And I think that I it's very indicative of how they're going when he goes. So he is a huge, huge part. And we always talk about one player doesn't make a team, and that's extremely true. Obviously, the Islanders have a chance to win every night just because of their defensive structure, the, how their goaltending is going right now. But – he really is a visual, like, evident person on the ice that if, hey, the Islanders are going well, Barzal's going well. If they're going bad, he's probably struggling right now. And they need him to go well this year. It's exactly what you said, and this was the same issue we saw with John Tavares. I'm not saying I'm not saying they're the same player. I'm saying when Tavares was on his game, he was the reason the Islanders won. They didn't, he didn't have the group around him that the Islanders have now. But when he was off his game and played terrible, they lost. And it's not about one player. But there is no reason, Barzal scoring in a game or not, that he shouldn't be showing 110% effort in both zones and just showing his face, get the puck, make a move. When he's not in his game, it's because he's not doing those little things that he does that makes everyone else click. And I think you need to see a more consistent effort from him each night. And look, he was on his game against the Devils. He He didn't take a penalty. When he's off his game and he's struggling to create, he gets lazy, he gets angry, he takes stupid offensive zone penalties, and it shoots his team in the face, right in the face. And for an Islanders team that, again, is going to try to get one of these top four spots in the toughest year possible, you can't have your best player in the box. You just can't. Not at the rate he was doing and not in the offensive zone when you're already a team that doesn't 
possess the puck enough. The last thing I'll say is they interviewed Barry Trotz after the game about Barzal's shooting. This is something that Trotz has been trying to get him to do. And Trotz, I'm going to sum up the quote, said, this is a guy that could score 30 to 40 goals a year if he just had the shooting mentality. You know, he's a pass-first guy. That's what his game is based on. He's a silky passer. He can make those in tight close passes, can make those cross-seam passes all day, every day. But when you do that, the defense that you're going against knows, all right, this guy's passing the puck. I don't have to play on him as much. I know he's going to try to get rid of it. But now you're seeing Barzal is picking corners, making dangles, shooting and scoring on top-level netminders. Now, Wedgwood's not, but uh, Sesterkin is, and he sniped him. Granted, yeah. when he wants back, but still, he's placing the puck in spots. We have not seen him place at his NHL career thus far. So if he now can shoot and pass and make those moves, you have the defense guessing. And when you have the defense guessing, that just allows his teammates to get open because they're like, okay, he might shoot it, and then he dishes it off and someone else scores. We saw a two-on-one last game with him and Anders Lee where he made a great quick pass on the two-on-one. He didn't wait. He made a quick pass. He had Wedgwood diving across. Lee hits the bar. But you're just showing that, all right, he can make that pass that quickly, and or he could take a shot and snipe. It's a tough decision to make against defenses, and you just hope that he's on his game tonight, and hopefully the Islanders can find a way to sweep these two against the Devils and become 4-1 on this young year. Yeah, so what I want to talk about real quick before we wind up ending the show. Yeah. Capitals are in first place right now at 3-0-2. Yep. Those two overtime losses came against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Penguins went to OT with the Rangers. So I think that gives hope, right? It's early on in the season. If the Rangers can win tonight and win in regulation, they're a point behind the Penguins. The Islanders have six points, depending on how they do tonight. The Flyers have struggled after that hot start. So they have seven points. Like, this is going to be a tight division. Oh, yeah. The New Jersey Devils, who are currently in six, they're 2-1-1, one, and one, right? A surprise team so far at five points. They have a Corsi percentage of 45.25 and expected goals for percentage of 41.32. Both are towards the bottom of the league. So, quote-unquote, for lack of better terms, they're getting lucky. Right, We saw it against the Rangers. They finally went against a good defensive team that wasn't going to give them those high-quality chances, and they couldn't really do much. So I expect the Devils to kind of come back down to earth. If that happens, and the Rangers and Islanders can start catching some of these teams, and when I mean catch them, I mean beat them during that season series, because the Capitals look very beatable to me, even when there's people there. Right now, they're, they should be beatable, yet Correct. they're winning, but... Well, they, they played Buffalo. Who, who did they play today? Speaking of Buffalo, I'm I know it's so they early. Buffalo again, of course. Shouldn't be saying this, but I'm going to. I took so much, you know what, for saying that the Devils are going to finish better than the Sabers because I just don't believe in this Sabers team that one player is going to help them on defense, and their goaltending has been terrible, terrible. They're not as bad as the Oilers because their their goaltending has been. Abysmal, but Koskin was never a true starter. Anyway, this league, I don't care what you want to say. His stats were whatever. The contract was weird, but I don't see this. I really believe that this Devils team, especially now, I took this take before this even started, but especially now, I love what I'm seeing from the Devils. Yes, I'm not going to win as much as they're going to lose because it's just they're in a division where that's damn near impossible. But the young guys, Sharon Govich, Bastian, Miles Wood, it looks like a top six player that could that could dominate every night. I mean, Blackwood's looked good. P.K. Subban looks energized this year, taking his shots when he can, making big plays, stand-up guy. Obviously, we saw it with the Nelson. But you're right, though. Going back to Pittsburgh, 
they've gotten lucky. I think Pittsburgh's a team that we could both agree is on the they're they're going in the wrong direction wise, just with age and everything like that. They're not the dominant Penguins team that are. Their goaltending has been questionable. Jari hasn't been the all star he was last year, given obviously less time, yeah. whatever it was. But you got to take advantage of these games, and teams are going to get lucky. That's hockey. Yep. It, that, that's why they play the games. The Rangers on paper should have won. They didn't. No, they didn't. And they did everything to win besides finish it. And I think that, the, like I said earlier, the bounces are hurting them right now. And if they come out and play the same way tonight, they're winning this game. Like, I'll say that with the utmost confidence. If they play the same way they did two nights ago, they're winning tonight's game. To finish the show off, I think we won't be doing hockey justice if we don't acknowledge how good Montreal has played. Montreal's 4-0-2. They have the best record in hockey. They've been incredible. I, it's been great to watch because they're finally scoring goals for Carey Price. This has never happened. This has never are happened they, before. Are they this good? <sighs> Who have they played? Let's go back to that. They played the Canucks. Probably Canadian teams. Oh, uh, yeah, I would, I would get. But they played the Canucks, the Maple Leafs. Did they play the Oilers already? I think so. Let's, I'm going to try to dive here quick. And their last two games were against the Canucks. Yeah, and the they won both. Three games were against the Canucks. Yeah, the last three were against the Canucks. And what they, they won got? All two, they won all oh, of they, them. No, they lost the first one in a shootout, 6-5. So, wait, you want to hear this crazy stat? Sure. The Montreal Canadiens, through their, their first six games, are averaging 4.83 goals a game. That is third in the league behind the two teams that only played one game. Dallas scored seven in their first game. They averaged seven. Panthers are averaging five. So Montreal, I'm going to say right now, has the best offense in the league. Averaging goals-wise, I'm not counting I'm not counting Dallas and Florida yet. Put together two performances of that, then we'll talk. But Mon- the pieces that Montreal have, everything is clicking. Clicking, which scares me. Because one little issue, one injury, one change, this team's back to the usual team. But we talk about how important early starts are at the end of the year when you look back at points. In a 56-game season, let them go on a run, 15, 20 games, and show dominancy and then fall apart a little bit. They're probably okay. And you look at the division right now, the Canadian division, and Montreal's up 10 points leading Winnipeg, which is 8, tied for Toronto, which is 8. So... You really don't have a chance to, to turn off the burners at all because then you're just going to get passed. But at the same time, I don't see this team fo- – unless there's a drastic change in the lineup or someone gets hurt or Price gets hurt, but even Allen's been good. And then I've had – see, the thing, the biggest thing this year, which is what I'm seeing, is usually it's ride or die with Price. Yep. Price is not on. They lose. But Price is not having to play brilliant hockey because the team in front of him is playing much more respectable than we've ever seen. And that goes to the coaching. That goes to the players, you know, realizing that, listen, we have talent. We have talent. People are saying Canadians are about four years away, three years away from being back to that, you know, Montreal Canadian hockey that we've seen in the past, playoff games. They're here. They're here now, and they're proving it right now in the toughest division that, yes, it's been against some teams. Canucks have struggled. Not the toughest division. No, no, they're in a tough division. Yes. But they're going against, they played the Canucks, who have struggled terribly. Pedersen does not look like the same Pedersen. That I, we already talked about how, how much I despise Holpe. Yeah. And not saying he's been terrible. He hasn't had that much help, but he hasn't been great. And um, 
I, I don't like to see a goalie fail, but I, I just never thought he was going to be the answer for them. And I'm, I'm happy. I'm not, I'm not happy. I, I just, you know, I don't like Hopi. I don't think he's a great goaltender. I don't think he gives 110% each night, which I think he has to. And I think this contract's going to bite them in the butt. They've played, they opened against Toronto and lost an OT. Montreal. Yeah. Yes. Their next two were against the Oilers and their last, Next three were against the Oilers, and their last their last three have been. No, my math is horrendous. Their next two were against the Oilers. I'm going to restart this. Okay, <laughs> it's completely fine. They opened up with the Ota. <laughs> Don't say that. Just say the, just say the Canadians. I could come back and cut it. Right. The Canadians opened up with an overtime loss against Toronto. That was a great game, back and forth the whole time. Their next two were against Edmonton, and their last three had been against Vancouver. So they haven't played the Jets, who look very good yet, but I'm interested to see that. They haven't played the young Ottawa Senators. So they, they still have to go through this division at least one time playing each team before I could say, okay, they're really clicking on all cylinders right now. But the fact that they are clicking makes them very scary. And Josh Anderson is producing – in a way we didn't see before, which seems to be a trend for Columbus players that are on that third line, right? Josh Anderson is the new William Carlson. Should we expect 40 goals from him this season? I mean, he didn't get any playing time there. didn't really score. And then, boom, all of a sudden now he looks like an all-star playing alongside Jonathan Druin and Suzuki. How about Tyler Toffoli with eight points and five goals? Well, Tyler Toffoli's always had a crazy shot. Uh, yeah, he's great, but you weren't seeing him produce – I think right when he was trading to the Canucks, he was producing, but then trailed off, which is uh, yeah. But I mean, they're getting secondary scoring, which again is not something the Canadians ever got. They're getting tertiary scoring. What's that? What's the fourth? Boom. What's after tertiary? Don't know, but tertiary is such a cool word that I just had to say it. Okay, well you're you're not wrong. Druin's got six points. Suzuki's got six points. Tatar's got six points. Peaches got seven points. I don't know. Everyone's got points. Armia's got points. Oh, speaking of Armia, he got absolutely rocked. He got decked by yeah. Tyler Myers, which I think should have been a suspension because right. To, I know how big Tyler Myers. It, yeah, is. it's hard because he didn't raise, he didn't target. He just that much bigger. Yes, but at the same time, it's like a player's stick. You have to be in control of your stick. You have to be in control but, of your body. That's, that's the thing. He was, but but he hit him in the head. He, but he never raised. His shoulder is just that high. Yeah, I get. I mean, I'm a short guy, so I don't. I, I can't really understand that. But <laughs> I'm telling you right now, if he yeah. went through that hit and finished like this, like up where he pushed oh, up yeah. or, or raised, but I have never seen a defenseman stay that clean. He never moved his arm, and because of that, he didn't get a suspension. Uh, I, I don't think it was on. on that is just a six foot seven human being. Yeah. I don't think it was on purpose. It was just right to the head, and that's just the height difference. But yeah. kudos to him taking the fight against Edmondson. Edmondson got they were they were squaring off, and it was like, all right, are they just gonna fight or just gonna stand here? And Edmondson just rocked them. But then they battled and they, they broke it up eventually. But that's what teammates do, and that's and there uh, is before we close out, we have to talk about NBC Sunday, 12 30 p.m. There's a huge game on to grow the game today. NBC Sunday, you know, right before football kicks off this for the championship weekend, we have the Detroit Red Wings against the Chicago Blackhawks on national television. What a stupid scheduling that is. What about the stupid scheduling that the Sabres 
played three o'clock today. No, they changed that because they wanted their game to end before Buffalo starts at six forty. Their I, game was supposed to be at seven. The Sabers game, they switched it. The, the Sabers game was supposed to be at seven. They flexed it to three because they want their game to be over before the Sabers okay. the, the bill start. I saw people going nuts on Twitter a few days ago saying, "How on earth can the NHL decide to go against?" No, that's why they did it. They're still going against the first game, but they're figuring Buffalo's market, whoever is not – well, no one's going to be at the game because it's in Kansas City. So whoever is not, like, strictly Bills and they watch the Sabres as well, will watch from 3 to 5.30 and then switch over. All right, Brendan, we got a lot of game saves, So before we wrap this up, let's do our usual picks, and then we'll see if we're right. We'll start off with the oh, – you go first. We'll, we'll talk about it, you know, like we usually do. Islanders at Devils, who do you got? I'm taking the Islanders. I'm too. Moving on. In the biggest game of the day, Detroit at Chicago. Chicago is coming off their first win. I'm going Detroit. Me too. Okay. Sabres at Washington. The Sabres to me look dreadful. Taylor Hall is not going to be the Messiah and carry this team into the glory the glory uh, days. So I'm going with the Capitals, even though they're shorthanded because they're just that much better than the Sabres. I'm going Buffalo. All right. Well, that's we'll see how that pays off for you. Um, next one, four o'clock. Toronto is at Calgary. We know how good Toronto's been. Calgary's got to wake up a little bit. Marshall's got to be a little better than he's been. What do you got in this one? I'm going with Toronto. I just I like the way Tavares is playing a lot, even without superstar uh, Thornton. Yeah, they don't have Matthews. I don't. I'm not sure about either. He's day to day, but they they have depth, and Tavares is really playing well. I know Islanders fans don't want to hear that name saying playing well, but he's playing very well. No, I would I would say Toronto as well. Vegas, fresh off their first loss, four and one against the Coyotes, who are two two and one. Who wins this one? Yeah, Vegas. Listen, this is their fourth straight game against Arizona. Very hard to beat a same team three times. They lost yesterday. Good teams don't lose twice in a row. This Vegas team is very very good. I'm going to yeah. go. Vegas as well. You got the Rangers at Pittsburgh, seven o'clock puck drop. Rangers one two and one. Pittsburgh is uh, surprisingly three and two somehow. So who do you got in this one? The way the Rangers have played, I'm going with the Rangers. I think that this is the game where their bad luck ends. I hope you're right. I'm gonna unbiased opinion go Rangers here as well. Wow. Eight, eight I just I don't like Pittsburgh. I took the Islanders and you took the Rangers. What's going on here? They're both gonna lose. Um. Anyway, that eight o'clock, eight o'clock puck drop between the Colorado Avalanche, who are three and two, against the Anaheim Ducks, who are one, two, and two. Who do you got in this one? Do you really have to ask me that question? I do. Colorado. All right, I'm going with the Ducks. Really? The Ducks barely lost last game, and like you always tell me, Brendan, uh, the bad team's gonna win eventually. And I just Colorado looks very good. But at the same time, they've made mistakes. And I think tonight's the night that the Ducks capitalize. If not, so be it. Yep. Next game, 8 o'clock, is the Kings, 1-2-2 two, and two at St. Louis. He was 3-1-1 and one, and one after a, a weird start to their year. St. Louis seems to be back at their usual stuff. I'm pretty sure they won last night. Let's, they they, they won 4-2 to two against those Kings. So who do you got? St. Louis again. I do as well. San Jose Sharks, who, who oh, I'm just laughing at this point with their goaltending. It's just crazy because you, you, there was no way this was going to work. There is zero chance that either goalie was going to say, I got this. They're pretty much saying, no, you got this. No, you got this. No one's got this. <laughs> and, and that's what it is. Minnesota is – okay, so when Zach Prezi was on the Devils, I like the Devils because I love Zach Prezi. 
when it was Delta of the Wild, I didn't become a huge wild team, but I get their alerts. I, I follow them. This wild team is so fun to watch. Kaprasov is a godsend. I love him. He, he's a great player. And I think this team, Cam Talbot did get hurt. Um, their, their Finnish guys in net. I forgot his name, but, um, Capo Kakkonen. Stole Capo Kakkonen's identity and added own into it. He looked pretty good in his game. So I like this wild team against San Jose tonight. I'm taking the Sharks. All right. Uh, they got to score a lot then if they're going to give up. Just... I'm taking the Sharks. Okay. Another 8 o'clock game. Nashville, 2-0 two, two against the Dallas Stars. Lead the league in goals four per game at 7. Who do you got? I mean, Dallas came out on fire against this Nashville team. So I'm going to say... I'm going to say Dallas does it again. I'm going to say Nashville. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, last last game on ESPN Plus, if anyone cared. Um, Edmonton Oilers, 2-4 and four against the Winnipeg Jets, 4-1. and one. And, yes, Winnipeg is without line A, but they were without line A yesterday, and they played quite well, and they won me a bet. So I'm going to go with Winnipeg again. Did they beat Edmonton last night too? They beat um, – oh, now I feel stupid. They beat the Senators last night. Okay, so give me Edmonton. All right, we bumped heads a little bit here, so we'll see. So one of us is going to come out on top because you know there's only two opportunities. So I think the last thing we should mention though is the National Women's Hockey League kicked off their season yesterday, and Correct. very very cool. They're playing over at um, Herb Burks Arena in Lake Placid, New York, where that was the Miracle Team happened and all that amazing stuff in the 1980 Olympics. They have cool new camera angles. The announcing was great. I loved everything about it because. Why not? They're getting the attention. The West Women's Hockey League is getting the attention. They've grown. Over 85,000 views yesterday. Unreal on Twitch. They did a great job. The hockey was great to watch. The Riveters got it going off to a great start yesterday. So, yeah, that the broadcast has been awesome. The first game was really cool. I, they have purple ice at center ice, which is That's unique. Sick. It yeah. was really unique to see, like, different color ice. Uh, I do want to say that if you're a betting person, I want to put this on film now. We are recording this at 11 a.m., so – this is before any game starts. I am taking the Rangers, Islanders, Red Wings, and Sabres, and Vegas Golden Knights. All money line in my parlay tonight. Five-team parlay. If that hits, I'll look like a genius because this is at 11 a.m. I repeat, this is at 11 a.m. 11 a.m., it's at 11 a.m. Now, now it's 11.01, Brendan. Well, I'm wrong. No, well, good luck to you. I don't I, I don't like betting at this point because given my financial uh... – situation that it's just detrimental if I do lose bets, but I hope you win, Brendan, and maybe you can share some of the winning. No. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, this has been a great episode. A lot of fun talk about the Rangers and Islanders. Obviously, the big trade. We have a, a full slate today, 11 hockey games. There's also football on if you're watching that. Just enjoy sports. It's a great sports Sunday. Make sure you check back in with us every Wednesday and Sunday. we got new episodes. We're always bringing on guests talking about hockey. If this is you know your thing, We appreciate you listening, and we look forward to the next episode on Wednesday. We'll bring on a great guest in the Isle Sign Guy. If you're an Islanders fan, you definitely know who that is. So make sure to tune in Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern time, and we'll see you then. The Back Check is your one-stop shop for NHL news and all things Rangers and Islanders. Thanks for sticking with us for this edition of The Back Check. Follow the show on social media at Back Check Pod.